Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the Senior Pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Now we're going to look at the second topic on the will of God. Remember the first one? The will of God is not just an activity, it must be a lifestyle. This morning when we look at the will of God, we must first understand God before we understand His will. Doesn't that make sense? You can't understand the will of God without understanding God. The Bible says in Psalm 103 verse 7, For God made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. Now, can you imagine God saying this about Moses? I have made known my ways to Moses and the people of Israel, his acts. What's the difference? The people of Israel were only interested in the mighty miracles of God. All they knew was the miracles that God demonstrated in Egypt in order to deliver them from the hand of the Pharaoh. But when it came to Moses, Moses not only knew God's acts of power, but Moses knew God's ways. The two important things for us to know regarding the will of God is one, and you can write this down, the heart of God for your life, and second, the will of God or the ways of God. Repeat that. The first one, very important, the heart of God for your life, and the second is God's ways in which he works. Once you know God's heart, you will know his ways. So this morning, we're going to look only at the first part. We look at understanding God's heart for you and me. A good place to start is a very familiar passage of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, and most of you can quote that by heart. And this is God's expression to the people of Israel when he said to them, for I know the thoughts that I have for you, thoughts that will bless you, thoughts of peace and not evil, thoughts that will give you a future and a hope. How many of you believe that? Now, that's the heart of God. That's what God is revealing to the nation. And that's something we must lay hold of. God's intentions are good towards one another, towards each one of us. God's heart is for peace. God's heart is for our well-being. God's heart is for us, for us to have a future in what he has in his mind. We don't know it, but the Bible says God knows the thoughts. God knows his plans that he has for you and me. Now, Romans chapter 8, 28, another familiar passage of scripture. This is what the apostle Paul says, and we know that all things work together. Can you say that after me? For I know... No, 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 no. For I know. You see, the Apostle Paul said this with confidence. We know it. Can you say it like that? I know it. I know that all things work together for my good. Who are called according to God's purposes. Now, all things will work for your good. Not many Christians believe that. But in everything that we go through in life, there is a God who's working things for your good. Isn't that true? And we need to believe it. You lose your job. You can't see anything good at losing your job, but God is working a better job for you. How many of you believe that? Shout an amen. You lose an opportunity. God gives you a better opportunity. 
In the end, you begin to look at life from a perspective of God's goodness overshadowing you. And that's why I came up with this phrase. If God is committed to work all things together for my good, I will, I will, I will look for the good in all things. Somebody get excited and shout an amen. And if you learn to live life like that, you won't have any place for depression in your life. You won't have place for any kind of negativity in your life because you're always looking for the good in all things because God is committed to doing all things good for our lives. You like that interpretation of Scripture? Well, that will do you good. You see, before Jesus came into this world, the angels burst forth with the song that we sing every Christmas. And it's, it says there in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth be peace and goodwill to men. It didn't say ill will, it says goodwill. Now most of my Christians think if they do the will of God, they live a very sad life. If you embrace the will of God, you'll end up being a missionary and a very pathetic life you live with less money and no joy and no friends. Now, that's not true. Doing the will of God is the best thing for anyone's life. When you do the will of God and walk in the will of God, you are setting yourself up for success. You are setting yourself up for the blessing of God, the peace of God, and a life that you've never dreamt of. Can you shout an amen for that one? That's true. In fact, I learned this very early in my college days. To live outside the will of God is the most expensive place to live in. Living outside the will of God is the most expensive place to be in. Moses was a successful leader because he knew God's ways. Moses knew God in a way that very few people in the Bible knew God. And because of his confidence in God, we see that played out in his relationship with God in Exodus chapter 32. Now, when you look at Exodus chapter 2, we see God is very angry with the people of Israel. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to meet with God, and he doesn't come back for 40 days and 40 nights. The people down think, hey, no one can survive without food and without water for 40 days and 40 nights, Moses must have either been raptured or he's dead. And so the people of Israel lose courage, they lose hope. And in their hopelessness, because they looked up to Moses as their leader, he's gone, they look at number two, who Aaron. And they go to Aaron and say, Aaron, Moses doesn't seem to be coming back. Would you make a golden calf for us so that we will worship? And Aaron, instead of taking his stand and saying no to them, no to idolatry, he very well knew what the law was, gave in to the people's desires, collected all their gold, and made a golden calf, and they began to worship that golden calf. In a moment of disappointment, we always tend to make idols for ourselves. That's your takeaway this morning. In our times of hopelessness, when we don't see a bright future, the tendency is to make an idol. Your work can be an idol. 
Your money can be an idol. Your relationships can be an idol. Your family can be an idol. Where you are totally engrossed in what you do in order to carve out a place of comfort and security rather than your dependence on God. And that's exactly what the people of Israel did. Made a golden calf and they began to worship. They forgot all the miracles. They forgot all the tangible presence of God. God speaking in an audible voice. The mighty manifestation of God taking them to the Red Sea, untouched by the Egyptians. They forgot all of that. And they started to worship a golden dead calf and saying, wow, you're the God. You ask me where idolatry started. It started there. And we not left the calf. Some still hold on to it. Who said that? Phew, terrible. This is what Rick Warren said. If not to God, you will surrender to the opinions or expectations of others. If you're not submitting to God, like Aaron, you will submit to the expectations of other people. Men, now this is unplanned for. Men, are you listening to me? If you're not going to listen to God for your family, you'll be listening to your wife. And it's high time men got spiritual and started to hear God. The only way spiritual men hear God is through their wives because their wives pray more than them. Their wives pray and fast more than them. And so anytime they're in a crisis, darling, hey, you're looking at the wrong darling for advice. Because when Adam heard his wife, he got into trouble. Now I want to say one thing. Don't go to the other side. Listen to your wife. But you know what? Before you listen to your wife, go to God and listen to God because the head of every man is God and God needs to be the foundation for your home. You need to be spiritual, men. And men, keep quiet. Wake up and start being spiritual. Wake up and start being godly. Start hearing God. When you don't hear God, then the people's opinions matter much to you. People's expectations can be overwhelming over your life. And there are certain things in life you need to say no to. And there are certain things in life you say yes to. How would you make that decision when you start listening to God? You will surrender to the opinions or expectations of others, to money, to resentment, to fear, to your own pride, lust, or ego. You were designed to worship God. And if you fail to worship Him, you will create other things like idols to give your life to. You're free to choose what you surrender to, but you are not free from the consequences of the choice. We all have a freedom to make choices, but we can never escape the consequences of our choices. All the miracles didn't give the people in, of Israel an understanding of God and His ways. It only took them 40 days for them to backslide because they knew Moses, they knew who their leader was, they knew the power of God, the acts of God, but never knew God. And the greatest tragedy that the church can go through is when we know so much of the Bible and still not know God. You don't read the Bible to know the Bible. You read the Bible to know God. And if that's not the motivation, you're looking at the Word of God like a textbook and it will not bless you. When God saw how easily their hearts were turned away from Him, 
He said this to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verse 1 onwards. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here. You and the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Now, it's very fascinating to see the dialogue between God and Moses. Okay, so please follow when I'm emphasizing you. This is God speaking to Moses and God is telling Moses, you are the one who brought them out of Egypt. Let's listen to the dialogue carefully. Okay, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, to your descendants I will give it. I will send my angel before you. God is saying, my angel will go before you. And I will drive out all the Canaanites, the Amorites, Hittites, and whatever you want to add to those ites. And then verse 3, it says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I come. I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And God is saying this. Look, you brought these people out. They're stiff-necked. You ever had a stiff neck in your life? Stiff neck. You can't turn around it. You have the whole body. And if someone's saying something from this side, you say, please come this side. I can't turn my stiff neck. And God called them a stiff neck people because they refused to repent. They refused to acknowledge God for who he is. They were so fixated in their thinking that they didn't have room for God to come in. And God's saying, look, I'm tired. These are stiff-necked people. You fought. Let the angel take you because if I come, I'll consume you. I will destroy the whole lot. Verse 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off ornaments that I may know what to do to you. Now, ornaments. Didn't take off your ornaments. Now, don't make it a legalistic. Ah, you should not wear ornaments. You see, take off your, he says, look, you should be in a place of mourning. You should be disgusted with the way you're living. Alive totally in rebellion against God. Take it away. Come and consume you. Verse 7, Exodus 33. See how Moses responds to God. Moses took his tent, pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. I found this very humorous. God is angry. God is saying, you know, I will destroy everyone, stiff-necked people, everyone. Moses is thinking, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. Why I must be included with these people, stiff-necked? Why should I face the disaster? He says, okay, I'll take my tent. I'm going far away from these people. I've calls at the tent of the meeting and saying, now, God, let's talk. How you like that? Good idea. He says, now let's talk. And he's, he's communicating. He's talking to God. Look what it says. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. God met him there in that tabernacle. In verse 9, and it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. Isn't that amazing? He communicated with Moses. In verse 11, and so the Lord spoke to Moses, the only one in the Bible that it talks about in this way, face to face. No other prophet, no other apostle in the Bible that it says this. Only Moses. God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. 
And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not apart, depart from the tabernacle. One guy says, hey, you can go. I love the presence of God. I'm going to hang out in the tabernacle. Verse 12 records this conversation that Moses says to the Lord. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. This is what God told Moses. I know you by name. You have found grace in my sight. And God keeps repeating that to him. And verse 13. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. Show me your ways that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. Don't point fingers at me. Don't say my people, these are your people. Consider. Moses talking to the God. God, could you consider these are your people? See, Moses' heart was set in knowing the ways of God. And I'll do a whole Sunday on the ways of God when I preach the next day. Follow me carefully, verse 14. And he says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God is telling Moses, my presence will go with you, singular. Not these different people, but you, my presence will go. I will give you rest, not them. Verse 15. Then he said to God, Moses said to God, if your present presence does not go with us, he included the us. You can't leave them out. If your presence don't go with us, do not bring us up from here. Forget about it. I'm also not coming. Can you see why he, God spoke to him like a friend? For how then will be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Moses, in other words, was saying to God, God, what's the use of the promised land? What's the use of a land flowing with milk and honey if your presence is not with us? You know, for the rest of the people in Israel, they didn't care whether God came with them or not. All they cared about was, wow, I got a miracle. How many of us can fall in that category? All we're interested in that one miracle, in that, not in that next job, or in that next promotion. What God is saying to Moses, I will go with you, I'll give you rest. Moses is saying, what's the point? If you're not going to come with us, the land of milk and honey means nothing to me. It's empty. And I want to say this to you young people. What's the use of your marriage if the presence of God is not going to be in your marriage? What's the use of another home when the presence of God is not in that home? What's the use of uh, all the wealth when the blessing and the presence of God is not with you? It means nothing. It's an empty life. Moses says this to God. The only way the nations around will know that we're different from them is by your presence. Isn't that true? 
The neighboring nations feared the people of Israel because they knew God was with them and God will intervene. They feared more than their army, they feared the presence of God. In the New Testament, the one thing the church must be known for is not for its good songs or its good activities. It must be known for the presence of God. And I'm just so grateful. I didn't talk to John this morning about what the message was, but everything about the worship was about the presence of God. And this is something that we must desire, a greater manifestation of the tangible presence of God. That's what makes us a different people from the rest of the others. That's what separates you from the people at work. That's what separates you from your neighbors. But if the presence of God is not with you, you will be just as noisy as your neighbors are. You know what I'm talking about. You'll have to introduce yourself to them saying, I'm a Christian, because if you didn't, they wouldn't have known. Joseph was a prosperous man because God was with him. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He was in a different country. He was amongst different people, not his own. But because God was with him, he was a successful man. And if you're looking for a successful life, here's your answer. Your answer is in God and His presence being with you. Wherever the presence of God is, the blessing of God will be. And wherever the blessing of God is, success will follow you. Goodness and mercy will follow you. When we begin to value God's presence, more than our jobs, more than our careers, more than our relationships, it's the beginning of you discovering the ways of God. And I'm saying that again. When you begin to value the presence of God more than your job, more than your relationship, more than anything else, you're positioning yourself to know the ways of God in your life. When I was in Chennai, I went there expecting a great a Bible college to bless me, to be a good spiritual place. It, didn't, it wasn't like that. And I grumbled, I complained. Because you know what? When we understand God's heart, we will have God's heart in every situation, whether it's negative or whether it's positive. Are you listening to what I'm saying? But when you don't know God's heart, then you will interpret every circumstance according to your intellect. And that's exactly what happened to me when I was in Chennai. I looked at the lecturer smoking. I looked at the conditions of the college was, was really pathetic. Even a pig would feel uncomfortable in that place. It was so dirty. Maybe a little bit of exaggeration, but you understand what it was. And I thought, God, I missed it. This couldn't be your will. And God says, no, no, this is my will. Now, you can't understand that unless you understand certain ways of God. But I looked at God's heart, and I had, God had to rectify certain things in my own life. And I got this opportunity to study in Singapore, and I thought to myself, wow, this can be my greatest escape. The greatest deliverance was the deliverance from a Bible college. Devil didn't bother me that much that time. But you know what I did? I said this to God. I said, God, I'm not interested in going to Singapore. I'm not interested in staying in this Bible college. 
I'm 100% committed to doing your will. When you come to that place in your life and value the presence of God and his will in your life, God will be able to stir you. He will steer you in the right direction. Many of us are like parked cars. You know what a parked car is? You go there two months later, it's still parked. It's not moving. But if you're a parked car, you need to start moving. How do you start moving? You start moving in understanding the heart of God first. When you comprehend his heart, he begins to show you his ways. It started with Moses. Moses was not just content and going to a land of milk and honey. He says, God, I want to know your presence. I want to know you. You may know my name, but I don't know you. You may say that I found favor in your eyes, but I still don't know you. Moses was pressing far more than what the others settled for. Then finally, when a very supernatural thing happened to me, you know, when you're left all alone, there is only two things you can do. Become more self-dependent or more God-dependent. Moses was a self-made man, but God took him to the wilderness for 40 years and made him a God-made man. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And one of the most painful journeys in life, is God taking you from a self-made man to a God-made man. It's a transition. It doesn't happen overnight. It took Moses 40 years. God only knows how long it takes for us. It takes a time for us to move away from our self-dependence and become God-dependent. And I said to God, I said, God, I have no finances. Everyone starts off like that. No finances. God provided. I'll tell you, I'm getting excited with some stories. I'll tell you stories that you've never heard before. You know, I went to Singapore, first time traveling abroad. I didn't know Singapore was a hot country. I brought, bought one coat to, say, to put on thinking, you know, you, all people abroad will wear coats and dress up well. And I sat, you know, squirming and sweating in the flight with that hot uh, coat on. And I got out, I saw all of them walking with shorts on. I said, hey, I'm a stranger here. And the, the, the dress just T-shirts and shorts, even girls. You know, I came out of that airport, first time international airport. I walked this way because people walked, and then suddenly they disappeared. Then I said, is this the exit? Then I saw someone else walk, people grew this side. I walked that way, and I got stuck. I said, this, is this the exit? And I did not know which exit to go for, this one, this one, this one. I was lost. And I was dancing from this gate to that gate. No one told me. My parents also never traveled abroad, so they had nothing to tell me. I said, Lord, what do I do in this moment? Who do I talk? What, how they understand English? I don't know who to talk to. Everyone is so fast, busy running. I said, one thing I will do. I said, God, I'm going to stand at this gate. I don't know whether it's entry gate or exit gate. There was no writing there. I said, God, I'm staying there. You get a hold of that person. I don't know what you do. You bring him to me and pick me up. And I stood there and I prayed in tongues. Everyone seemed to leave the airport. The thing was getting dark around 7 o'clock. And then this guy comes screeching on his car and he turns around. He says, Are you making the one? He says, I said, yeah, Come on, you're coming. He's shouting at me. I'm thinking, What a reception this is. He's angry. He's hitting the steering, shouting at me, Come on. He says, I'm a local in Singapore. I'm a Singaporean. I've traveled to the airport uh, probably a thousand times. I've never made a mistake coming on a one-way street. And I said, he can get a Singapore and go on a one-way street. I said, isn't that amazing? Don't you think it's amazing? 
You see, you know, even if it's out of the ordinary, it takes a man and a woman to stand their ground before God and say, God, you can do the impossible. I never made that mistake after that, but anyway. You see, when you know the heart of God and when you're in the will of God, you have God's backing for your life. You have God's backing. Let me take you back to Exodus 33, verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken to me. What did God speak to him? Let my presence go with you. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. And now God and Moses are conversing with one another. And Moses has just stopped asking for his presence. He says, now I want to see you. Not just your presence, your glory. The glory of God is the character of God. The glory of God is seeing God for who he is. And he said, please show me your glory. Moses was not satisfied with the fact that God knew him. He wanted to know God for who he is. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Can you say the word goodness? Say it loudly, goodness. You know, everything about God is good. You heard what I said? Everything about God is good. And that's how you look at life. That's how you look at your circumstances. That's how you interpret what's happening around. Listen to me carefully. You never look at your circumstances and try to understand God. You understand God, and then you try to understand circumstances. Too many people are looking at circumstances and saying, hey, why he broke his leg? Why he had an accident? Why did that person die? Could God be cruel? Hey, wrong way of looking at God. You look at God for who he is. And then you have his perspective in the world we live in. Bible says, he let all his goodness pass before Moses. I want you to believe that this morning. That God is a good God. His goodness passes over us. And he said this to Moses. And it says, and I will proclaim the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Verse 5. God gives Moses his desire. No one had this privilege except Moses. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in love, in good, abounding in goodness and in truth. Remember the five qualities of God. He's merciful. He's gracious, bounding in love, slow to anger, and he's faithful. Different translations, different ways of putting it. Because Moses knew God, he could understand God's way. The two people that God commends in the Bible are Moses and David. Two people. God gives them a high recommendation. These two men had two things in common. Both of them knew how to trust God for their battles. Starts there. Everything starts there. Every crisis you have, you have a choice to either depend on God or to depend on, on yourself. People have big dreams. I want to trust God for this big thing and that big thing. Hey, start with the day-to-day -day things in your life. Start trusting God for the little things in your life. Start to understand the heart of God for your life. That's a good place before you start seeking God for His will. Both of them made it a habit to inquire from God concerning their decisions. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. One thing. You see, he was a king. He had, you know, so many subjects 
He had a hundred responsibilities to do. And out of all of that, he says, one thing I desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He set his priority on knowing God and his presence. Remember the last time I preached, when you put your heart on the spiritual kingdom or the spiritual world, the spiritual world will influence your material world. You have the blessings of both worlds, the spiritual as well as the material. And here's another example of David. One thing I desire, and that's you, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord, to worship Him, to gaze on the character of God, to inquire in His temple. These are the three simple steps you can embrace in your life. One, set your priority on God more than anything else. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your home, whether it's your job, whatever it is, seek God's heart in everything that you do. When you do that, worship Him. Gaze upon God. Recognize God for who He is. That's the beginning of you growing in faith. When you, your life is anchored in Him as a person, and then you inquire, you talk to God and say, God, what should I do? Would you lead me? Would you give me the wisdom that I need? And verse 5 says, but says, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And that's, what's, that's what David said. He says, when I do this, I know God will protect me. I know God will hide me. He will keep me in a, in a secret place of his tabernacle. Yet, I'm not saying this. Because it's just in the Bible. I'm saying this because I know it's true. The presence of God is the answer for your faith. Look at the Bible. Look at your own life. All it took is one moment to touch Robin to be healed of his migraine. The presence of God is the answer for your healing. The presence of God is the answer for your life, for your job, for your well-being. You set your heart in his presence. His presence will bring you success. His presence will bring a blessing in your life. When we live our lives without the presence of God, we're just vessels, empty vessels, going nowhere in life. They're stuck and stagnant. But when a vessel is filled with His presence, there is destiny. There's value. There's an identity. There's something that you have that the world doesn't have. That's his presence in a vessel. That vessel is. We went through the most darkest time in our lives as a church and as individuals. This was around the year 2000 when there was a, a difference of opinion between us and, our, and the leadership, the NFI leadership. And they said, no, you've got to leave the church and become an evangelist. I said, no, God not called me to be an evangelist. God's called me to be a pastor. God has given me a heart to see people being restored and healed and set free. No, and this was an ideological debate that was going on. And the, it ended up so nasty that, you know, there were words that were said to both of us that shattered us. The spiritual abuse, the control was so intense. We were so isolated from everyone. Everyone had the instruction. Don't talk to us. Treat us like strangers. And the ones who we knew, the ones we ministered to and were blessed, 
would look at us and ignore us. No one spoke. It was such a controlling environment. The lead, top leadership that was here in Bangalore wanted to take over the church. And he told me to do such things that were ridiculous, to stand up in front of the congregation and say, I've never been a father, never pastored you well. Now, how can I tell the congregation that? I refused to do it. And that brought more flank. I went before God and I said, God, would you speak to me? And God had been giving me certain inclinations that I didn't want to embrace. And that's the problem when we talk about the will of God. There are things that God will tell you that we just refuse. We don't want to embrace it because it's beyond our thinking. We don't want to get into that place of uncertainty. And I didn't want to ruffle any feathers. I wanted to be a, just a good guy. And I said to God, God, I'll submit. Oh, I have so many stories to tell you. Okay, we'll finish this one and we'll talk about another story. You know, and I said, God, I set my heart on. I'm just wanting to do what you want me to do. And God put these precious words in my heart. If you don't move on, you will plateau. And for the rest of your life, you will be doing the same things. And you know how boring that is to me? You know, I always like to turn things up. Anything that stays too normal upsets me. And so uh, even the house, I keep turning it around. Because it somehow doesn't look nice. It must have something different. How many of you like that? And so just the thought of status quo, nothing else. I think for the rest of my life, God is saying I'll be stagnant. I shared this with the leaders. They all thought I was mad. I was mad means mad. They, they said, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. I said, I'm willing to venture out alone. Venturing out alone, man. The church split. There were about 30, 40 people, 40 people, something like that. We had to buy this premises. They put it up on the market, market uh, price in spite of us contributing. That was never taken into consideration. You say, you have to buy this up, buy this place, market value. 40 people, what shall we do? We went before God and started to pray. You know what God told us? Like the way he blessed the bread and the fish and it multiplied. I was grateful they gave us installments. They gave us an installment of two years to pay up the 30 lakhs without registration. Five lakhs extra for registration. Every installment we gave. God bless the next one for the, for the next installment. Till today, Annie, me, or David, David was handling the finances. We have no clue how the money came into the church. I mean, people gave their coins. People just gave and blessed. But even with, with that, blessing of the congregation would never meet the tall demand of 30 lakhs in two years' time. The times I will wake up in the morning and I said, God, I'm good as dead if you don't show up. I tell you this, you know, you may have heard me say this, Lazarus brings great comfort to me. I'm not talking about the Lazarus who was alive. I'm talking about the Lazarus who was dead. Even when he was dead, he comforts people. And I thought of Lazarus and I said, God, Lazarus was good as dead. And even though he was dead for three days, his body was stinking. It was never too late. You stepped in and you brought resurrection. I'm good as dead. And I played dead. I lay on the bed, looked up and says, I'm gone, Lord. I'm good as dead if you don't show up. I have no foreign God. I have no one else to bless me financially. You stand there. Is my only source. Morning by morning, two 
lovely years. And the reason why I say lovely years, not because of the circumstances. I wish someone came with a bag and said, here, pastor, you've done a good job, take it. I wish, but God didn't allow it. I went through the journey of laying in that place day after day and saying, God, I need you. And that was the best Bible school I ever went to. It grounded me in a person called God who's alive and will never fail and he will never leave us. We went through that two years, miraculously God providing, met all the installments and then it came for registration money. And I said, I never asked God for registration money. Five lakhs or four lakhs we needed, something like that. I said, God, would you show me, Lord, where this five lakhs will come from? Would you give it? And God popped a name into my He says, you call him up and he'll give you the money. I said, okay. I just called that person up. I didn't mention anything about how, how much we needed or what happened. I said, you know, how are you doing? How nice. And we had a small conversation. This person was in Bombay. And he says, I heard you had this building program. How's it going? I said, it's going well. We're able to clear all the installments. We're trusting God for the registration money. And he says, I'll send my wife and they'll give you the money. She'll give you the money for the entire registration. And I said, God, I hooked the right fish. You see, when God says, go catch the fish, Peter didn't stand there the whole day squeezing every month slowly. Just like it is, Lord, let it be. Oh, no fish. God told Peter, go catch the fish. There will be a gold coin. He went there and he caught the fish. You know what? You know why I'm telling you these stories? You're a never the loser when you walk with God. You're never the loser when the presence of God is in your life. The presence of God will lead you into paths of righteousness. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He will lead you where? Green pastures. You want green pastures? Make Jesus the shepherd of your life. Not in song, in reality. There is a God in heaven that we must still discover, and I must still discover. The more I discover him, the better it becomes. The more addicted I get, the good addiction to have. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.